Welcome to Roguecast, the official podcast of Rogues Gallery. We'll talk comics for the week, as well as whatever news is on our pop cultural radar. I'm Randy. I'm Nick. This is Dave. And now, on with the show. Episode 400 of the TV... No. Episode 400 of the Roguecast, recorded on January 10th, 2023, Lang vs. Kang. It is our 400th episode. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. If I had known, I would have worn something nice. Instead of just being here naked like you are all the time? I am wearing a janitor's jumpsuit. That's uh, true. That's translucent? Yes, it's weird. <laughs> it's honestly weird. It's, it's disco style, though. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I, I question the tiara, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, to celebrate, we're doing nothing special. Right. Um, we, um, uh, Randy, you didn't tell us in advance it was the 400th episode. We could have done things. He wanted to surprise talking, us. I've been telling you guys for weeks it was a 400th episode. You can't tell us the day before. <laughs> weeks before. <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, we, we actually, we had a very, a lot of stuff come in today. I think we've mentioned on the podcast before. We don't, we don't know when things are going to arrive. Nope. No, there's, there's no control for it now. We have too many distributors and the pandemic has upset the balance too much. So we never know when things are going to arrive. We just put out about a million boxes, and we weren't sure if we were going to podcast. But now we're going to podcast because podcast. for you, for you the listener, and for us, <laughs> and for us the podcaster. Yes. Uh, but yeah, we've got some fun comics to talk about. We're going to talk about some movies and TV, uh, all that good stuff. So it is a is a lighter week for comics. We're doing something a little unusual. We're going to talk about the quick rundown of the new games for the store. Then we're going to quick talk about the comics for the week. Then we're going to take a break, and then we're going to do our news, and then we're going to take a break, and then we're going to do our topics. Yep. So it's a little bit out of, out of order. But it's uh, the 400th episode. We're, we're chicken things up. That's right. That's why. It's the 400th episode. That's why. <laughs> All right. So game-wise, it's, it's just a couple things. Um, there's a source book for Star Trek called the Utopia, Planitia, Utopia Planitia, which is the shipyards, and I assume it's basically a ship source book for, for Star Trek. Yeah, probably so. That would make sense. Just tons and tons more... Uh, the shipyards uh, are also, I think, where... Is that the one that's on Mars? Is that the one where they had the big robot uprising? If you don't know, I don't know. But you know what I'm talking about. Yes. You remember a big uprising? Yep. It was yep. a big thing in uh, Star Trek Discovery. Yep. Or was it Picard? No, it was Picard. Picard that showed it, yeah. Because um, robots are evil in Picard. And uh, uh, so that there, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was like some stuff like at the shipyards itself, like as you, you know, maybe to use it as a staging ground. Maybe but so. Who knows? I don't know. Somebody pick it up and tell us. And then uh, we got a the first Dungeons and Dragons figure in a long time. Oh yeah, not not the miniatures figures. We got plenty of those, but action a figure. an action figure of Grimsword, a, uh, a villain from the original D and D figure line. Yep. And this is um, a new fangled fancy action figure. He's got like changeable hands. He's got a cool snake shield and a snake flail. Yeah, the snake flail is really cool. I was wanting to have a snake flail. Well, now you can. <laughs> I wonder if it'll go with my tiara. <laughs> I mean, I think it will. Just slap a snake on that tiara, you'll be good. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the comics of the week. Um, there are a few uh, familiar faces in there. We got a new issue of Moon Knight, new issue of Dark Ride, new issue of Daredevil, another issue of Mary Jane Black Cat, all the stuff we like. But there are a few new things. Um, there's a new Avengers book called War Across Time by uh, old school writer Paul Levitz and artist Alan Davis. Yeah, Paul Levitz, of course, is best known as a DC guy. He was what their editor in chief for, for a long time, a long time, Did decades. He do a run on Legion, probably the most famous run on Legion there is. Um, Legion of Superheroes, that is. Um, he did the Great Darkness saga yep. and stuff. Well, often in, later on, working in conjunction with like Keith Giffen and stuff. But yeah, he he arguably kind of pushed the Legion of Superheroes to become the 
the the serious cult uh, comic that it, it will always be now. Yep. Um, anyway, this is this is a throwback thing. If you are an old school Marvel fan, it is done in the you know it, it is meant to evoke that '60s style. It's got Alan Davis on it, who loves to draw the classic Marvel heroes. Well, and it specifically it specifically takes place after, during Ravager Avengers number eleven. Yeah. So again, and I think there's going to be a series of one shots that all involve Kang mm-hmm. and uh, like the Avengers and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, if you if you like that retro vibe, uh, check check that out. Uh, what yeah. is it? Avengers War? Avengers War Across Time. Across which, time. The War Across Time is Kang keeps coming back and fighting the Avengers. What a jerk! Yeah, what a jerk. Um, DC has their event, uh, Lazarus Planet Alpha, this week. It's uh, I think it's written by Mark Wade. Yeah, it's yep. spinning out of the Batman versus Robin. Yep, and also Monkey King. Yeah, I've heard he's like going to play some some notable role in it. Uh, and I know it deals with the Lazarus volcano, yep. about which I don't. Know the thing? There's a volcano. Um, but it seems like seems like you know. I assume it has nothing to do with the Lazarus pits from yeah. uh, Batman. Only it seems like you know those are usually just used to rejuvenate or prolong life and stuff like that. But it seems like this is almost doing something more like where it is. Uh, the ashes and stuff have gotten into the Earth's atmosphere, and it's more like like when the inhuman stuff happens or something oh. like that, where like people's like powers are altering. Uh, weird stuff is happening. Uh, I don't know if they're using this as like a soft reboot for some sort of DZ stuff. I imagine it's more just like a smaller crossover. Well, King Firebolt is the villain, and uh, Robin has put Damien has put Firebolt King like Firebolt. like the uh, restaurant. No Firebolt. Oh, Bull Firebolt. Okay. And uh, Damien Wayne has put together a team to go and deal with this, and his team includes Blue Beetle, uh, that is the uh, Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle. Yeah. Blue Devil, uh, Mary uh, Mary Marvel, Power Girl, Cyborg. And a couple others, I think. It's an odd team, but I like that mix. Uh, yeah, so it's a, it's cool over there. Oh, it looks like yeah, it looks like Zatanna and maybe Monkey King are in there too. Okay, and it's like they're going to deal with this this uh, uh, stuff that's coming out of the the devil who's been involved in Batman versus Robin and the Lazarus volcano and King Fireball. So yeah, Fireball. Uh, DC event. I need to read that. There's a new image book called Black Cloak. This is by uh, Kelly Thompson. There's really nice art by Meredith McLaren. And I believe it mixes uh, kind of some uh, Blade Runner-esque visuals with uh, some elements of fantasy in it, too. Uh, Like in the same... I don't think it's the same kind of thing, but like somewhat like how Saga did. Right. Uh, So Saga fans might want to check it out. Um, At least, according to the solicit, I believe it was a triple-sized first issue for the low, low price of $4.99. Well, there you go. Uh, There's a new Spawn book. For those of you who like Spawn... Uh, this has art by Mike Del Mundo, so it's this really pretty, sort of painty looking stuff. And uh, I think this is like all the Spawn books are sort of more Spawn, but a because McFarlane's writing it. But uh, I see that maybe looks like the clock may have made its appearance back. Is it a one off or I, is it a mini- series? I think it's a mini series. I think it's a mini series as well. Okay, what's it called again? Unwanted Violence. There's an ad for number two on the very back of it, so I think so, it's yes. a mini series. There we go. All right, uh, that is all the new comics for this week. That's, there's not there's a lot there's, there's plenty of stuff, but that's like the new stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, all right, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about uh, trailers and news and all kinds of stuff. So first off, we're going to talk about a bunch of movie trailers that we watched. Movie and TV trailers, I guess I should say. Um, let's start off with uh, with Renfield. Yep. The uh, Nicolas Cage is Dracula, but he is supporting character, or the antagonist, perhaps. Yes, yeah. 
The lead but, is Nicholas Holt as Renfield. Renfield yeah. being his like uh, familiar, basically. Let's see. Uh, Nicholas Holt is uh, best known in our circles for he played the Beast played in the Beast in first class. first class. He's in the menu. He's he great. In the menu. Menu. He was in Mad Max Fury Road. He was in Mad Max Fury Road. He was also uh, in Warm Bodies. He was in Warm Bodies. Right. Yep. So uh, and he is. Uh, this is almost like. Uh, you know, tr- traditionally, Renfield is uh, Dracula's main servant guy. Yep. Uh, and this is almost like, uh, not quite uh, workplace anxiety, but kind of workplace anxiety well, he's comedy. in a support group for abusive, like, leaving abusive spouses and, and that yes. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, also, isn't that Aquafina who is, mm-hmm. like, his, his, like, uh, maybe love interest, but, but like, or a cop friend. who gets to know him? Yeah, yeah a cop who yeah. He, sa- he saves. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this was a wacky trailer. I, I, I thought this was a ton of fun. Yeah, it looks great. I mean, special effects look good. Uh, Nicholas Cage looks like he's ready to chew the scenery. As Apparently, Dracula. Renfield can do uh, like kung fu. All he has to do is to fly first. Uh, yep. Uh, <laughs> people who've read uh, Dracula or seen some of the movie versions know that Renfield had a weird thing where he would like uh, started with eating flies, and he would graduate to spiders, and then rats, and then like cats. And uh, it was a just uh, some. It was meant to be like a weird side effect of Dracula's control over him mm-hmm. is that he was becoming that predatory thing. But they that called it a power in this one. And this, this is yeah. This is obviously there's their own take on it. Um, so what does he get when he eats a cat? Does he knock like glasses off? I of the... guess they just do the rat thing. He, they, super they, agi- he becomes super agile. I'm gonna bet <laughs> they just stick to the flies. and cost up hairballs <laughs> that he can then spit in his mouth at villains. Sure, like um, uh, like a breath weapon. Uh, I thought it looked okay. Um, I, I think it was the, like it was it was kind of on the nose um, sort yeah. of sort of workplace humor or, or or and, and you know support group humor. Um, Nicholas Cage seems to be having a fun time playing Dracula. Seems to be having a fun time playing it. He clearly is upset that his main servant is off. Uh, confessing his secrets abstractly because yep. of course that's part of the gags that the people in the support group they're hearing what he's saying and yeah. he's being abstract enough that they're just like we know what it's like to have a boss who's like yes. who's cruel like that yeah. and who uh, doesn't listen to you and so they're they're kind of very uh, very support groupy and so so we'll say this is the direct the director that did this is also the director who did the Lego Batman movie oh okay uh, all right and also the Chris Pratt uh, time travel thing the Tomorrow War oh I didn't like that which was okay. I did not like it. So it's got a 50-50 shot. Yep, yep. That's apparently it. You want more Lego Batman and less Time War. He also directed 59 episodes of Robot Chicken. Oh. (laughs) So maybe 37. That's a a certain uh, demographic targeted there. Yep, we're Uh, slowly tilting my interest away here, Nick. Every every IMDb entry. Did he also do ads for uh, Axe Body Spray (laughs) and, uh, like, uh, Red Bull? Uh, He and Zac Efron have a tequila company together. (laughs) um, All right, the uh, the next one is the Poker Face trailer. This is a show coming up in just a couple weeks uh, on Peacock. Yeah, it's from like Ryan Johnson. Away? It's from Ryan Johnson with Natasha Leone. You might remember from, uh, uh, I mean, Orange is the New Black, but also it was the show that she was in. Oh, uh, crap, it was on Netflix. Yep. Uh, Time Travel. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm blanking I'm on blanking. it. Yep. She also showed up in Knives Out 2? She showed up briefly in Glass Onion, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't call it Knives Out 2. Ryan Johnson will show up and stab you. (laughs) So I will say, Ryan Johnson, this is his... He's creating this, and he's also directing the first two episodes. Ah, nice. Uh, Who would have thought that he was like, let me just do a television show real quick? I mean, this looks like a ton of fun to me. I... It's it's basically the the pitch is that she can... She's a human dot lie detector. She can tell when people are lying. And she clearly... 
is having a bit of a hard life. She's like on the run from the mob or something yeah. else. Uh, played by um, the main mobster is played by Benjamin Bratt. Benjamin Bratt, which is amazing. Uh, but also Adrian Brody is in there. Uh, it's got a great cast. Yeah, everyone, everyone. A lot of it is going to be Natasha Leon playing Natasha Leon, and that'll be great. It seems like uh, kind of in the way that I think people would always sort of line up to work with Tarantino because he always gave him fun meaty roles in his movies. Ryan Johnson, I think, is kind of getting some of that for his. Uh, Especially because of sure. Knives Out, for sure. um, but uh, but it seems like yeah he 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 must be a pretty good guy to work with uh, the, given imagine. how many people line up for him. Yeah, although he doesn't have a lot of return people. Like uh, he burns them. Yeah, I mean, I think Adrian. <laughs> that's what we're, the that's the, that's what Nick has gleaned from this. Nick yep. solved the mystery. It's yep. not like Christopher Nolan who basically uses the same cast in every movie. Yep, yeah. he, yep. he definitely he brings a new blood. Um. Uh, we got the trailer for Bo is Afraid, the new Ari Oster movie. What a weird thing that is. What a weird thing that is. Before, I, before I, mean, I should be used to weirdness. Just a quick reminder, who Ari Oster is the guy who made, uh, kind of broke out with Hereditary. Uh, really incredibly scary and also unnerving movie. It's like, that's a movie that'll kind of leave you jangly. And, and then doubled down on uh, unnerving Midsummer. Midsummer. Yep. Uh, his, uh, his weird cult movie. Uh, is uh, sort of uh, was Icelandic, and cult now thing. he's doing a kind of. It looks like a dark comedy. Yeah, it, it does. It looks like it's a... also the kind of thing where I can't tell if like things that play as comedic in the trailer might be more serious or just surreal. It does it look seem Charlie Kaufmanish? Does it seem yes. misery esque? Like he's absolutely Catholic. definitely some like misery. It's Amy. It's Amy Ryan, and uh, who's the guy? It's oh, that the, the was like Joaquin Phoenix. No, uh, who's the who's the, the older guy who's, who's talking to him? It's oh, that old, is uh, uh, Nathan Lane. Yeah, Nathan, Nathan Lane. Lane. Yeah, Nathan but, Lane and Amy Ryan, who by the way both were great in, in Murder in the, Murders in the Building season yeah. one. Um, but the lead character is the lead uh, character is Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin they, Phoenix. They seem to be a couple that basically sort of kidnap him in the middle of this. Yep. Crazy chaos, like the apocalypse going on. I don't know what's going on. He's going to visit like his mom or yep. something, and there's, there's some weird and they're drama playing there. him as kind of like I don't know. He looks like kind of a, a, a middle aged oddball guy. Yes. I don't know quite what his deal is supposed to be. Well, they show him and his mom when she's and he's younger. It seems like she may be like doting on him, and maybe like her his dad was weird or something. Yeah, there's, there's some weird family drama in there too, which fits with what I understand of, of Astor's mm-hmm. stuff. And they do. He does somehow end up sort of held, maybe prisoner by them. Looks like it seems yep. like in a house, and and then there is like a suggestion of like a long passage of time, perhaps yep. many yep. years uh, even. But it also becomes so surreal to the point where there's like animated background. He's in a cartoon, yeah. yeah. Uh, that looks sort of like it looks almost like Wes Anderson like sort of strange backgrounds, very stylized forests and mm-hmm. and things like that with forced perspective and weird stuff. Uh, and it, it looks neat and all that, but I have just no idea what's happening. I just had to look at the classification on like uh, IMDb. It is called a comedy drama. So, I mean, that's, that's what I figured okay. it was probably comedy drama. So, I mean, okay. which is kind of a, a, a Ariaster doing is something different. <laughs> no humor whatsoever in Hereditary or Midsummer. Uh, I think there's uncomfortable humor. Yeah, there's like a little bit of uncomfortable humor, laugh here and there, but it is not his thing. No, nope. um, maybe he's trying to uh, show that he has that in him. I don't know. Sure. Uh, it looks bonkers. I think the one thing for me is I'm not the biggest Joaquin Phoenix fan. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I just Really? He's, I, I, I like him in most everything he's done. I don't think he's... It's not that he's not a talented actor. I think he is. I just don't gravitate towards his performances. And I hated Joker. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's like its own beast. Um, 
Uh, this is all backed by the uh, song Goodbye Stranger yep. from yeah. Super Tramp. So that will tell you this is an unusual tone for Ari Aster. Yeah. Anyway, you got if you're a fan of his stuff, just watch the trailer. It's weird. I, I've still never seen any of his stuff, but this was a good trailer. I, I think I think it was pretty good. I was intrigued even as I was utterly befuddled. Yep. Uh, then we got the trailer called Sick, which is from the uh, creator of of Scream, Kevin Williamson. Yep. Uh, this is it a seems up his alley. It's yeah, it's a it's, it's a, a uh, COVID era slasher. Yeah, like literally set during I guess that lockdown period, yep. you know, of uh, what early twenty twenty. Yep. Yeah, um, and uh, having a bit of fun with the masking and stuff like that. Uh, kind of hilariously, notably, uh, like what, what was it the premise of this? So this a couple. This is a couple friends go out to an isolated like cabin in the it's a bit not right. a cabin. It's like a little mansion. Yeah, so they're basically like isolating lake lake with friends. Yeah, yeah. It belongs uh, to them or a friend or something, and it's like one of those, oh, this is a great spot, nobody's out here. But then there's an extra person there, and he may be a killer. He may be a killer. And uh, at least at one point, um, you know, when, once they start getting to the fast cut, people running, weird shadows moving around in the darkness, yeah. screams, knives, things like that. Somebody runs up to a car that's along the road and tries to, like, they're like, you know, let me in or whatever. And the person is, like, hurriedly putting their mask on yep. in the car um, and uh, doesn't want to let him in. Okay, <laughs> so Kevin Williamson wrote this. The director is uh, John Hyman's who did a indie movie called Alone that I actually really, really enjoyed. It's sort of about oh. a woman get, being, like, uh, followed and then uh, subsequently kidnapped like on, like, a road trip. It was an interesting uh, premise done really, really well. Uh, so, I mean, there's also kind of like her fighting back and stuff like that, which, but uh, that makes me even more excited. So, I'm looking forward to this one. I'm trying to think, what did I see just recently that was like a full acknowledgement of like, oh, it was, it was Glass Onion. Glass Onion had people masking up and yeah. acknowledged COVID and also kind of did a little deus ex machina to avoid it once yeah. the movie got yeah. rolling. But uh, but it did acknowledge it. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess we're... It sort of makes sense. Uh, Lord knows, nobody, I think, feels like, oh, everything is just great. We can never be in danger again. But we do feel like we're like past the worst of it, I think. And uh, so maybe that's the point where we can kind of start acknowledging it. Because I think nobody wanted to sort of acknowledge it in film until we sort of knew at least a little how it was going to play out. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to be in a ton of things, but uh, but it is interesting to, to see in there. I like to imagine that based on uh, Edward Norton's abilities in that movie, that that uh, COVID shot that they got did nothing. <laughs> I mean, it would Actually, completely fit his character. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> like, he's like, you're good. Yeah. What does that mean? You're good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what was that? It was like Fanaka. Yeah. At the uh, at the end of the uh, the mystery, they're like, he's like, by the way, you all have all COVID. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Alright, the last trailer is the new trailer for Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania, which I think, uh, I think we all to some extent are like, I wish they hadn't released this trailer. Yeah, um, well, like, it's, it's not as if we weren't going to see it. Yeah. Right. The Ant-Man movies have all been good. Um, this is good. We, everybody knows it's going to have Kang in it, and that's going to be cool. Guy who played Kang and Loki uh, is good. Jonathan Majors. Jonathan, Jonathan Majors. Majors. Amazing. He's great. He's, he's, he's probably going to redefine that character nicely for the comics, I think, too. Yep. Um and give him a little more personality to hang their hat on. Well, he's got he's got and, and what we've seen so far, and, and that's in Loki and in these trailers, he's got more of a soft spoken menace than the like yeah. over the top bombacity that you kind of expect from yeah. Kang. And I think that's probably the way to go. Yeah, it was it was an interesting new take. Kang in the comics, uh, forgive me, Kang livers, but can seem a little bit like a cut rate Doctor Doom. He's like Doctor Doom, but time travel instead of owning. Yeah, a, he's, uh, I don't know a country. He's, he's got the same imperiousness yeah. and, and yeah. all of that stuff. Uh, 
and yet is also probably the kind of guy you could have a glass of wine with as he tells you that he's won. <laughs> he's the kind of conqueror you can have a beer with. <laughs> glass of wine only, Randy. <laughs> these are classy villains. You're right. You're right. I, I think it's a good trailer. Uh, I don't think it was necessary, like you said. Uh, I was going to see. I mean, we all know that trailers. The, you hit like two, what, probably what two to three at least notable trailers yep. for each movie, and then, then then they just spill their guts once the, the movie is out. They're calling this the final trailer. Um, oh, are they? I, okay. I just, I uh, there's there's stuff in here that I wish I hadn't known until we saw the movie. But I once the trailer is out, we have to watch it. Right, like, we have to. Everybody was blabbing. There was there's. A, I, I think we might want not let's, to. Let's not say that the thing. There's at least one like, character. Dave, Dave saw it. and He's like, as a character here, I wish I hadn't known was in it. And I'm like, yeah. And then once he said that, I knew I had to watch it because I was going to hear. I would rather see it than hear it. I yeah. I knew he that character was in there yeah. because the uh, the breakdowns of what they showed at D twenty three. I okay. had read some of Nick, that. Nick, you're always more up on the news than we are. I know, and sometimes it's to my detriment, and sometimes <laughs> I. Uh, um, Nick's a masochist. I am, I am very curious at some of the story uh, that they allude to here, like that Michelle Pfeiffer has had dealings with King. Yeah. And I, think I think that's really cool. Their their reinvention of Janet Van Dyne also is interesting and, and she's not had a lot of time to do anything. Like she was just barely in it when I mean it was yeah. really uh Jan, Janet Van Dyne, Janet Van Dyne is, is Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer, right. Yeah. Uh Evangeline Lily's character's mom. Yeah. Um, right. And they, what is her character's name? Uh her character's name is Hope. Hope, Hope Van Dyne. Hope Van Dyne. Okay. Um, yeah, th- this looks like this should give her more time to shine. It struck me that this cast is, uh, except for the Ant-Man's daughter, is everybody is over 40? Yeah. Maybe over 50? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Evangeline Lilly is, but I think she might be. Um, and, and, and so is, uh, what's his name is? Lead Paul Rudd. Yep. Um, Paul Rudd is over 50 and looks which, 25 like he always has. Is he yeah. over 50? I thought he was like 48. I don't know. He's, he's close to he's it. He's in that ballpark anyway. Uh, but anyway, uh, good good job, Marvel, letting letting older actors uh, be older actors and still be badasses. Yep. Um, that uh, the the big sort of this, this does sort of frame exactly what's going on. And I think we can say what this yeah. is. Which is, it looks like Kang is offering a sort of a devil's deal to Scott Lang, who... Uh, for all that he kind of got his life together, he did essentially, because of prison and all these other things, he's missed out on his daughter's life. Well, and he missed five years of it because of the snap. And he missed it because of the snap, too. And Kang is going to offer him the ability to get that back, is yeah. to relive his life or whatever. Um, and, like, uh, this is one of those where I'm like, uh, it's probably uh, redundant to say it could be a double cross. <laughs> like, uh, like I'm sure he well knows that. But I, w- what Marvel movies are usually pretty good at is hanging their hat on something that feels real to people. Mm-hmm. And almost anybody should be at least familiar with the idea of, you know, lost time or I wish I had done this, uh, some kind of regret like that. And I think that's a that's a pretty potent storyline, potentially. Yeah. So what does yeah. what King need stolen? That's what I don't be- know. Because that thing is going to be another. It's, be it's a, a heist, right? I mean, because that's what cool. you do with that's Scott. What, that's what I Because that's, yeah. that's what he does. He's right. stealing something from him. And, and part I, of it may be his ability to, like, to like shrinky and go quantum yeah. and stuff like that. But, like, something like. But even Kang can't get past it, this, but. Is it possible that other character is the nemesis that he's stealing from? What other character? The other character we're not saying who it is. Oh, maybe. I don't think I have so. A feeling, think so? Okay. I have a feeling not. Okay. Uh, we do, among other things, see him, like, probably because of timeline splits. Uh, do a it's split like, and face himself. Yeah, it looks like there's an army of animals. Yeah, there's an army of Scots. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That get like unraveled. Yeah, yeah you see with the giant man being unraveled. For all yeah. I know, he's having to rob from himself yeah. because there's some alternate version of himself. Stop robbing yourself. Stop uh, robbing yourself. And of course, Kang has alluded to multiple Kangs. Yes. So he could be. They could be robbing well, a cat. Another. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Well, in Loki, they said there's like hundreds of different Kangs. Yeah. Also, so. I did. I did like uh, the in the trailer. They they say uh, begin the beginning of a new dynasty. 
So definitely yeah. nodding to the Kang Dynasty. That's in interesting. That. Yeah, so. Uh, it, you know, and I'll say this, although they've given us sort of the baseline premise, it is true that we don't like, we don't know those big, some of those no, big questions no. yet either. Um, I did see, the, there is a kind of a fight that looks like it's probably near a, to being a climactic fight. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, I don't know, but there's yeah. a, the, like, there's like a physical confrontation between Scott and uh, Kang. Lang and Kang. Lang versus Lang Kang. Kang. I, I got a very uh, Steve Rogers-esque kind of backbone from Scott there, and I appreciated that. Uh, I think their Kang looks amazing. Like, they, they did a great yeah, job in that is. costume. He does. It's, they don't show a ton of it, but you definitely see some good shots of it. Brief, so brief glimpses of the it. The blue force field is great. Yeah. Over his face. Yeah. They, they, really, the blue. they really did just, like, just nail the look of it in, in a way that... Like twenty years ago, they would never have done Kang this way. Right. They would never have given us this much this much purple and green. Never would have seen that. Yep. So this is the original Kang. Yeah. In this one. Yep. We so presume. I, uh, so I, I have a friend. Of... I have a friend who's like the biggest Kang fan in the world. And he's very excited, and I have a feeling he's gonna be let down because there's no way it's gonna be exactly what he wants it to be. But it looks Costume pretty close. looks pretty darn close. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it may just be not the Kang, the Conqueror. He wants he Kang wants. to be like this massive Doom-style Conqueror. I don't think he's going to be that. I think he's more right. to it. Yeah, he may be doing the, I'm consolidating power, but yeah. I'm not, like, imperious yet. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on from trailers, we have some news. Uh, we all know the D&D movie is coming, but it sounds like Paramount has ordered an eight-episode season for the D&D show. Which I... Did we know there was going to be a show? We did. We, we did. talked about okay. it. So this is... Um, there's not any details about it. Uh, it's being developed by the director of Red Notice, which uh, I don't know about you that. You enjoyed Red Notice. It was fine. I don't know that I want that show. You want slightly better. But, but yeah. don't you think that that is kind of the in tone? line with like what you kind of want with the yeah, D&D? It, it kind is, of like it is. larger in line. I mean, you could definitely you do You know what I would want of D&D is something of the vibe as far as like the mixture of serious and fun of The Mandalorian. Yeah. Which has like a high degree of craft. Is is derivative. It's frankly derivative. Um, yeah. And uh, but like it's so so well done. You you kind of I'm willing to go along with it. And uh, it's good world building and stuff like that. Yeah. So if if they could capture something like that, that I guess that'd be my ideal D and D. Well, Paramount Plus has like a billion Star Trek shows. So if they if D and D becomes successful and we can get a bunch of D and D shows, sure. I want one in Eberron. I want I want the Forgotten Realm show. You know. I, I will also say this: you say that there are a bunch of different Star Trek shows. They hit their marks more often than they don't. They do. Paramount's, uh, it, Paramount's got a lot of good TV. right Yeah, now. I mean, they basically. I mean, Taylor Sheridan uh, supplies everything. For them. It's, the mo- it's the most approved <laughs> streaming service in my mind. Like, mm-hmm. like if someone was asking what streaming services to get, it's high on my list. Yeah. Uh, so if they can do a corner that is the D and D section, yeah, I, I'm for I'm this. I'm down for it. I, I can't imagine there's quite enough demand to do that, but but oh, we'll I see. There is. I didn't know that there time, was. I wouldn't have thought that the CW superhero block, you know, which is dying down now, but had like what a ten year run, yeah, or whatever, had a good run. Uh, had a pretty good run. Aren't there five Star Trek shows right now? Yeah, but Star Trek is a very long built up. Like it, it's got a pretty broad base, bigger than D and D. Well, yeah. speaking of the uh, the CW shows, they are finally closing out here. There's the last show is the Flash, I think. Yep. Yep. And uh, I guess I guess Superman and Lois is going to get another season, but but the Flash is the last of the sort of CW verse. And uh, they announced that Oliver Queen is going to come back for the last uh, season. Seems fitting. To yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, he became the Spectre, which was stupid. Yes. Uh, I assume he'll come back as Green Arrow. I'm sure. Although, I mean, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I mean, Green Lantern became the Spectre in yep. the comics. Yeah. And I wasn't wild about that move, but every once in a while I saw good stories with it. Yeah. Sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll potentially allow for it. So does that mean, though, that Oliver Queen died? Yes. yes. How did he get killed? 
remember. During the crisis. Yeah, it was during uh, the crisis. Okay, the anti-monitor probably blasty blasted him. Yeah, yeah sure. The uh, anti-monitor tied his shoelaces together. He his, fell over his, in a His boxing pit. glove arrow misfired and blew his head apart. Yes. <laughs> in a particularly weirdly gory sequence. Yes, it was yeah. extremely memorable. But with very bad CG. <laughs> like, <laughs> it made um, a boop sound. <laughs> um... Wednesday, the show that everybody really liked has been renewed at Netflix for season two. Yeah, smart. Uh, yeah, it was like the highest rated show, except for maybe one other show or something. Yep. I don't know. It did well for him. I well. really enjoyed it. So, um, speaking of Taylor Sheridan, who has done, uh, I don't know, Yellowstone, Tulsa King, Mayor of Kingstown. He is like the king of television. Yes. He has another show in development. Uh, called and, and deep in development. It's called Lioness. Yeah. It's, it's going to be about the CIA. Yep. And it's going to star Nicole Kidman, which is a pretty damn That's, big. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's got Harrison Ford and and uh, who's Harrison Ford's counterpart in the oh, uh, three? Mirren, uh, uh, Alan Mirren. Alan Mirren. I mean, he's got Sylvester Stallone. He's got Jeremy Renner. Like everybody, he's got Kevin Costner. Uh, but Nicole Kidman is not the like the only big name here. There's actually has Zoe Saldana is yep. one of the cast. And someone, the, the lead is uh, Lazla de Oliveira from Lock and Key. So this is basically um, a, a, she plays a young Marine who joins the CIA's special Lioness Engagement Team. That would be LET, I'm guessing is the acronym. Okay. Um, tasked with befriending the daughter of a billionaire with ties to a terrorist group in hopes of bringing down the organizations from be, from within. Huh. I'm wondering is, okay, so Zaldana so plays Joe, the station chief of the Lioness Program, Whose job is to train, manage, and lead this all-female team of undercover operatives? Is this a Tarantino pitch? Do they fight with their feet? Is there? Is, do they all? Do they all use capoeira? Um, Kidman is Caitlin Mead, a CIA supervisor who quote must juggle the trappings of being a woman in the high-ranking intelligence community, a wife who longs for the attention she herself can't even give, and a mentor to someone veering suspiciously close to the same rocky road she's found herself on. Now, this all sounds uh, like this elevator heightened elevator, this, this, but it sounds like. Heightened melodrama, yeah. which is sort of what Sheridan does, but his, his stuff always lands. It does. Here's like the his thing that I'm really wondering strong. about. Um, uh, like, uh, I, I think you can do obviously a good like CIA type show, but outside of sort of genre trappings, the CIA does some uh, pretty heinous and despicable things. They overthrow uh, whole governments. Well, here's the problem um, with Taylor I'm, Sheridan. Yeah, <laughs> he knows full well that his audience leans a little bit right. Yeah, and the thing is. None of his stuff is I like you know I was I'll talk about this again when we talk about Tulsa King at the end but his stuff tends to lean of like a sort of like wait a minute is this right wing propaganda but there's always a little bit of like of, of nuance to it yeah where even I a uh, fascist an, an anti fascist anarchist uh, crazy person like yep. like myself uh, can watch it and be like. This is pretty good, even though these cops are all scum. <laughs> there's there's something to be said for just you like you like a good craft can can win most anybody over. And I have uh, by the way, I've never seen anything by this guy. I feel like I need to see something just so I can evaluate it. But I what recommend I recommend Tulsa King, and I'll talk I'm, about it later. What I'm wondering is, yes, will there be anything uh, critical of the CIA in this beyond just a oh look the organization oh, is there? A bit probably, of probably. I mean, everybody who does anything about the CIA, and we'll talk about the recruit later too. Even if the, the CIA is portrayed as sort of the quote unquote good guys of the piece, yeah. There's all now. There's always a bit of like, oh yeah, but this organization's terrible. Yeah. What was the What was the mini series that looked? Uh, what was it the Looming Tower? Looming was Tower, it? yeah, or Looming Towers yeah. that was about the uh, basically the uh, intelligence community mistakes that led to the failure of 9-11, Yeah, yeah. 
and, and and I felt like that was probably a more accurate portrayal of it. While at the same time, it's not like it. They they showed that every single person in it was tarnished, but like that there may be some uh, pretty innate problems. Well, I think that that's the thing about most of the stuff we're seeing now about um, you know on, on the legal side of things about about espionage. They always tend to the, the protagonists tend to be good people or flawed people in a, in a bad situation, yeah. right? And they definitely tend to like play up that. The organization is flawed, but these people are trying to do their best. And right. I don't know if that still counts as propaganda or not, but it usually it's usually nuanced enough that it works for me. Yeah. yeah. So we we shall see. We shall see. I'll talk um, about a little bit when I talk about my show. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll try uh, Tulsa Kings as a, as a test drive. I would also yeah. say Mayor of, uh, Mayor of Kingstown. How is dare also you? Worth... Mayor of Kingstown is great too. I just finished that too. What's yeah. like just the, the the one line elevator pitch? Mayor right? of Kingstown is uh, Jeremy King, Jeremy Renner is a fixer in a town that has like three prisons. Okay, so, so he's like the fixer who, who goes. He's the go-between between the gangs and, and the, the cops. cops. Okay, and uh, and the legal system. He's sort of and inherited the, and the politics. That. Yeah, okay. sort of inherited. It's it's, it's definitely every, every time I watch something on Paramount, I see a trailer for it, but it's like a little quick teaser trailer, and I can't yep. quite tell. Jeremy what it is. Renner is a is very good in it. Yeah, there's a lot of. I think everything Sheridan's done. I haven't watched Yellowstone yet, but everything I've heard is sort of like crime adjacent. Yeah, everyone's a little bit in that crime world. Oh yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Switching gears a little bit, Michael Giacchino has announced what he's going to he's going to direct following up on his uh, Werewolf by Night. Yes, and it is them, the fifties giant ant movie, a remake of. No, uh, he's going to go back in time oh, and direct the fifties uh, ant movie. So he actually has already directed it, and I've seen that movie before, and I liked it. So good job, Michael Giacchino. Yes, excellent. You've done it again. Also, he's all of our grandfather. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> so is he going? What do you think, Ant Man? <laughs> so is he going to do black and white? I don't know. That would be awesome. Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, Werewolf by Night was black and white. I mean, it was black and white. There's, there's no way a major studio released a black and white movie these what days. What have they done that is? Because there have been some Lighthouse. Things, Lighthouse. Lighthouse. That uh, was pretty good. George Clooney did one, I think. Was good it? German. Good German. But I thought he did... What was that? Uh, the TV one about the, uh, like, Brokaw... Oh. Good Night, Good Luck. Was that black good and night, white? Good Night, Good Luck was black and white. Yeah, what, that those was were, Brokaw. These were that all, was, like... These uh, were all, like Another guy. These were, yeah, Murrow. Uh, the, yeah, the biggest, Murrow. by the way, the biggest one, and this is like by the biggest director, is Schindler's List. Yeah. yeah. Um, but has but, there been one in like 15 years? I think. Man. Sometimes they'll do something like, they'll be like, there's a black and white cut of uh, The Mist or, yeah. or something yeah. like that. I, and, a black and white cut seems possible. A full on uh, black release, and white release. Right. They I did a black and white cut of uh, Mad Max Fury Road, I believe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. White House would probably be the one I could think of from right. the past like 10 years. And that's pretty, pretty cult uh, in yeah. its way. Yeah. So, um, but that would be interesting. Like, if anybody might be able to pull it off, it's him. We all liked Werewolf by Night. It was an unexpected, uh, really fun uh, yeah. movie. And it was like, you know, just an hour. But uh, it's the kind of thing where I was like, after I saw that, I was like, I would try something else from this guy. Well, it turns out, you know, being on set with a bunch of great directors by by doing the score and stuff, he's learned a few things. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) I would not guess that most composers are ready to, film composers are ready to bust out as directors. No, I wouldn't. But it seems like he's one of the ones that is. Yeah. Um, So, so, by the way, I I believe, have either of y'all seen them before? I have not. So, um, I, I think this is kind of funny, but, like, people will sometimes say things like, them is the Citizen Kane of giant insect movies. <laughs> it is really good. Uh, hey, it's my phone with spam. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, them, uh, I don't know how much of it is because of budgetary reasons or what, but actually, like, has, like, a pretty good script and begins as a neat mystery where there's, like, People have been like uh, like disappearing. I think on the outskirts of this desert town, and like or maybe they find like a collapsed um, 
what do you call it, like a storage unit, for, like a military storage unit that, that had like food and stuff, and it's like they've gotten like sugar and stuff from there. But they like find that it's like covered like with acid, which I guess the, the ants, uh, I don't know if it's like when they sort of eat or their digestive stuff or whatever, like, uh, you know, has this sort of uh, acidic content. Yeah. And the, it, it is actually almost like a Michael Crichton-esque science mystery for a little while, for like about 20, 20 minutes. Then suddenly they're like, what is that sound? And this giant ass ant as big as a like truck comes over the hill. I've and, seen that. And it's cool and this this cop goes and I don't you know you know how they have like shotguns locked in cars? Yeah. I don't know if this was a standard thing in the fifties or if it was just cool. This dude has a Tommy gun in his car <laughs> and he comes out and he just brrr, it's right in the face. Um, <laughs> Um, but like exactly what the ants are doing and what they have to do, they've like kind of gotten into like I think old like irrigation tunnels under LA and stuff. And there's a pretty cool sequence, which is a lot of the last third of the movie where they have to send in like small military teams to try and track down their uh, you know the queen and stuff like that. Anyway, far better than it has any right to be. I think like still a lot of people seeing it today, which you're going to still find slightly goofy 50s tropes and things but way better than you think but it sounds like a lot of like uh modern day horror and stuff like definitely utilizes some aspects of that i mean you you described that opening and my mind immediately goes like tremors yeah like any like if if, it's i I think the thing to do would be to take it seriously to a point and have a little bit of fun with it too tremors is not a bad example probably i I bet it would be a little more serious than that but um i can see a number of different ways it might work and um, that's what, that's I, and the effects decided. are going to be like through the roof good now. Knowing that you like, knowing that you like the original, do you would you do you think this is a good idea? Do you do you, I do think you want so. a remake? It, it is one of those where it's like, yeah, you could argue this movie doesn't need to be remade, but it's also it's essentially become a lost uh, project. Like nobody nowadays watches right. them uh, unless you're like kind of grow in, in like a horror buff, you know, groups uh, or, right. or whatever. Um, so so yeah, and I think they're they're uh, the again the effects are up to it. For all I know, there maybe is even some thematic to pull into. I don't know what it is, but you know how, like, there's bees are dying, and it could be the end of our ecosystem. Yeah. They could all die as a result. Maybe they're going to tie something into that. Uh, maybe that maybe that that is a thematic that will show up. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. But, um, uh, yeah, because of Giacchino's success, um, uh, it's it's something I, I'm certainly willing to entertain. Yeah, and, and I mean, old school... Old school horror was kind of the vibe that he did with, uh, with, with oh, yeah. Night, yeah. but in a way it was sort of updated and new, and it worked. Yep. So, yeah. We wish him well. We wish him well. And we wish them well. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. The last bit of news here is, uh, this is kind of exciting to me. Um, they're doing a remake of Ocean's Eleven, which I love heists. Even even if something's like disappointing, like the new Kaleidoscope from Netflix. Yeah. I love a heist. I love the. I, I haven't seen the original Ocean's Eleven, but I love the uh, the remake from uh, from two thousands. I will say the remake for me is better. Oh, the remake I've heard is better. Yes. I believe it is among your kind of comfort food movies, Randy. Uh, it is absolutely. So this is, and and this will be a third remake. This is a third remake or second remake, I guess. Uh, yes, because they also did Ocean's Eight, which was not a remake but a sort of continuation. Right, right. I wish that had done better because I really liked Ocean's Eight. I did 8, too, and it, was it a lot just of fun. Didn't, didn't do well. Um, so this is a remake of the original Ocean's Eleven, set in Europe in the 1960s, starring Ryan Gosling and Michael. Oh, it's going to go ahead and be a period piece. So it's going to be a 60s period piece. Ryan Gosling, Margot Robbie, in Europe. This sounds fun. Um, it is. It's. Uh, I'll go see it opening. Who were the stars of the original? It seems like it was there's the Brass Pack. It was Sinatra. okay. I was going to yeah, say they Sinatra usually get kind of pretty people, mm, yeah. or yeah. 
Yeah, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. And by the way, Margaret Robbie and Ryan Gosling are very talented. Well, so they're basically going off of Barbie uh, to this. In, in 19- <laughs> oh, I hadn't realized yet. Yeah, in 1960, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Sammy Davis Jr. as World War II veterans who joined forces to rob five Las Vegas casinos in a single night. So this is more like the same kind of thing. It's going to be the five casinos in 1960. Are they, um, why are they robbing them? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's a reason. Because Money. fuck them, that's why. Well, like, uh, like what was the original... Uh, like, like, what, that is, I don't the, know. The George Nick, Clooney version? No, I don't know. Oh, the Clooney version. In the Clooney version, it's because the, uh, the guy who owned the casinos was, uh, Garcia, had, like, yeah. had, uh, had, was now like sleeping with his ex-wife, and he was a bad guy, and he wanted to show her that he was a bad, he was a bad guy. Uh, and also make like $11 million. Okay. I think it was I'm more going than, to prove it was a point. It was like and, 100 and, and make millions. Okay, sure. Uh, this is directed by Jay Roach, who did Bombshell. Um, what else has he done? Awesome Powers. Powers. Yeah. I don't know if that's the guy I want directing this, but he could, he could Bom- possibly. What's Bombshell was really good. What's funny is that Austin Powers is such like a camp uh, view of the 60s. Yeah. Um, and if this is going to be set in the 60s, I, I, obviously I don't expect them to be following that level of camp. Yeah. But that is kind of funny. It like He surely had to have like gotten at least something of a vibe of doing a 60s period piece, yeah. even if you're spoofing it. Um, and, and I thought Bombshell was a really good serious movie. I that did. was for people who don't remember. And Margaret Robbie was great in that. That was the one about the scandal, like the, the sexual Fox abuse News scandal, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Fox News scandals. Yeah. It sounds like uh, he and Margaret Robbie have a good rapport as well. Seems like. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're, they're going to be uh, Barbie and Ken together. So. Well, no, yeah. I was talking about Jay, Jay Roach. Roach. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. she was also in uh, oh, Bombshell. That's right. That's right. Um, anyway, um, yeah, that, that's, that potentially sounds fun. Um,. Randy, uh, you don't think it's too many, uh, too many versions of this movie? No, no, I think this is a good take on it. I, I think it's, well, if they were, what nineteen ninety blank was when the first remake came out? I thought it was like two thousand one. I think it is. I oh, think was it? I think it's two thousand one. Okay, yeah. So, so, so we're about, it's about twenty years past. I mean, and then of course they did two sequels, which I think most people don't like, but I actually have a fondness for both. I have a fondness for them because it's just a, a, a bunch it's of a bunch, people just getting, getting together, together and having, having fun. A fun movie. Arguably the very same thing that people liked about the original. Yes, yeah, and yeah. all Rat Pack stuff. But the, the first one is better. Like notably, it oh, is the yeah. best. For, I mean, and much of Ocean's Eight, Ocean's Eleven is stands head and shoulders above all the other versions. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, uh, I'm excited about this. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about some TV and some movies, and I don't know what else. All right, so uh, we started a little late today, so we may not have time to talk about everything we're going to talk about. We'll see. But let's start with, Nick, you're going to talk about the season two of Slow Horses. Yeah, this is one of those ones that I, I loved the first season. I, I just enjoy the show. I figured season two would be a little weaker uh, than the first season because they're kind of always like that. Uh, and however, it was actually better than the first season. <laughs> this is that spy show, right? This is a British spy show about uh, basically the dullards of MI5. Oh, is it British? Oh, yeah, it's MI5. Oh, okay. Uh, and they work, the group of people that we follow uh, work in something called Slough House, which is basically their uh, reject house of spies who. Who've, who fucked up <laughs> and uh, are put out to pasture in a lot of ways, led by Gary Oldman uh, playing a very over the top asshole uh, who farts a lot and yep. uh, eats constantly. Uh, it, it is basically the uh, polar opposite of uh, was it Smile or Smiley from Tinker Tailor? Oh yeah, right. Uh, however, he is very good at his job, and he is not like 
uh, somebody you could get over uh, right. very easily. Would you call it realistic? I think so to a degree because it definitely takes a, a more realistic. Maybe not. What was that uh, British spy show? Was it Sandbaggers? Yeah. Uh, maybe not to that degree, but its depiction of MI5 and sort of well, basically the lead house of MI5 as opposed to some of the other like ancillary uh, properties yeah. of it. Uh, the MI5 is led by Kristen Scott Thomas as kind of the number two. She is cutthroat. And, like, she is a badass. Okay. Uh, I love Kristen Scott Thomas, and she gets to really kind of choose scenery here. Uh, but as we said in the previous thing, this is not, like, a glowing endorsement of, like, spycraft. Uh, and, like, everybody's out to get each other. Mm -hmm. uh, no one trusts anybody. <laughs> uh, it is a constantly sort of fumbling to get actually good intelligence. The person who's, like, the, the cyber guy doesn't want to do his job because he's, <laughs> like... Uh, to put upon and kind of an uh, just is it funny it's got a good set of humor while also uh, dealing with some pretty like dark stuff this season deals with sort of like a uh, thing from the coming back from the past to bite uh, Gary Oldman in the ass uh, but uh, also a plot uh, to maybe like do sort of like a September 11th kind of mm. to uh, Britain, which I thought was an interesting uh, play. Is it um, is it kind of like one thread plot, th you know, one major case essentially yes. the whole season? Yeah, they're based on a series of books, huh. uh, and yeah, this they're kind of like what they're doing with Reacher. They're taking a book at a time. However, this the the schedule for Slow Horses it's just six episodes, hmm. and it's. There are six done. Get in, get out. Now, these are each based on a novel, right? Yeah. So, and I, I think there's a lot of them. Yeah, there are. Uh, I forget who actually writes the novels, uh, but you say each based. You mean like each season? Or yeah, whatever? each season is going to be based novel. on a. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, one of the executive producers uh, is Graham Yost, who did uh, Justified and a bunch of other. Right, things. I did see that. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I might because of that, if nothing else. I feel like I should go back and check in on this I at some point. I think you should. Uh, it is definitely kind of more slow and a little meandering. Yeah. Uh, slow's right there in the name. Yeah, it's right there, there in the name. Uh, there's no horses. <laughs> there are no horses. They're, they're put out it the pasture. It says it's slow, but there's no horses. But it has a lot of the same sort of, like, shock qualities that sometimes uh, Queen and Country could have. Yeah. Like, characters you uh, thought were kind of, like... Oh, nothing bad could happen to that, and you're like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so it, it definitely has some surprise in its corner. Uh, this is one of my favorite shows, uh, and I, I I got a few episodes into it, and I just wasn't quite feeling it. It wasn't bad, but it just, I wasn't feeling it. I also just love Gary Oldman. Yeah, uh, Gary he's Oldman's always good. And the other thing you were talking about was Will Trent. Will Trent, yeah. There's only been the one episode uh, because pilot. But pilots are hard sometimes, and I thought this had a great pilot episode. It's on ABC. Is this a lawyer show? No, it's a cop show. However, the cop in question that is the main character, uh, at the very beginning of it, every cop hates him because he just closed the case that ended the career of, like, 30 cops. <laughs> uh, basically, of corruption and all this other stuff. And people are pissed that, that he did this. Uh, but I Cops embrace change. Yeah, they really do. Uh, the main character is played by Ramon Rodriguez. Uh, he's kind of an interesting character. He lived. Uh, he grew up in like an orphanage. I I did not. I think my uh, my wife Kaylee said he was in like a Transformers movie. I have I I have no idea. Okay. Uh, but he grew up in like a group home. 
he uh, suffered abuse. There's a lot of like little things that I was like, okay, so they're layering on kind of like character points for this guy. Uh, and I thought it was portrayed in interesting ways. Uh, the other person involved in this is Erica Christensen. I don't know if you... I remember She was like name. from Swim Fan. Yeah. Uh, uh, she reminds me of someone, Julia Stiles, I think. She's a little bit they, of fun. They, yeah. they do kind of But she plays an undercover cop that uh, is his uh, ex and sometimes girlfriend. Okay. Uh, uh, it is interesting. The big person here that I, I was very surprised to see was Sonia San. Uh, I know that name. From The Wire. Okay. Oh. Uh, and she plays... Yeah, Kima. She plays, okay. like, the uh, head investigator of the unit. Uh, she is great in this, as always. Okay, yeah. She's, she's always good. Uh, but there are lots of cool guest stars. Uh, I just thought it was a really good opener that did everything it needed to and left you wanting more. And I appreciated that. Especially for uh, primetime uh, TV pilots, which... What's the what's the show? Will Trent. Will it's based Trent, on a series of, of novels as oh, okay. well. Right. So, uh, I'm curious. I I hope to continue on and it doesn't lose me. But as of now, it comes on Tuesdays. I'm excited to watch it. They're doing these novel shows. Where's my John Hamm fronted Fletch series? If John Hamm if John Hamm had his way, he'd probably do it. In I heartbeat. want I want that. I, I want, mean, I would love to. I want. Every a six episode adaptation of every of every Fletch book with John Hamm. I I, I would adore that because that movie was good. It was. Uh, all right, I watched the the show that you had recommended me, uh, The Recruit. Yeah, it was a Netflix show starring a guy. They said his name Noah Centiano, like as if he was someone I should know. Well, I don't know who he is. Well, he plays Adam Smasher in uh, right. Black Adam, and I'm never going to see Black Adam. Eh. I'm definitely not going to see it. <laughs> um. And uh, so I was like, okay, uh, this is a guy who's in things. Uh, yes. But he plays a lawyer for the CIA, and he is kind of a hapless doofus. He's he's smart and ambitious, but he's also kind of a hapless doofus. Yes, uh, entirely. It's his first week of uh, working for the CIA, and he gets dumped on... Uh, he, winds, like, he winds up with this this uh, female Russian's asset who like is basically running rings around him. And played by uh, Laura Haddock, which I thought she was really good. She is, and she played... She's uh, Peter's mom from Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I didn't catch yeah. that. Yeah, but she's playing a sort of... playing a little bit younger here. Um, basically, she had... Uh, she got burned by the agency. She's in prison, and she's threatening to release information unless he gets her out. Yeah. And then the two of them get involved in this big case that, that is... is ties into CIA history and also there's this whole thing of like all the backstabbing going on at the CIA that they yeah. all his girlfriend is someone who's like it's like a range for him like they're like basically they're, they're help they're dating as a social thing yeah. but also it's like so she will help with his case weird. like there's some weird stuff in it there is um, also uh, a great uh, turn by uh, uh, Vondi Curtis Hall Vondi Curtis Hall's great his, his ex-girlfriend who's his roommate is um She's the girl who was in, um... It's Fievel Stewart. Yes, and, and it's, um, uh, Atypical. Oh, Atypical. She's, I never watched was, that she one. She was really good in Atypical, and she is, like, she's another, she's, she's sort of rich, and they had they had a thing, they don't have it anymore, they're, she, she's kind of the one that got away, and, uh, she still kind of has a thing for him, he has a thing for her, but they're, like, they're, like, there's a little will they, won't they? There's a whole lot of, like, young 20-something drama here, but none of that CW sense, no. I guess. I, I guess it's a little I elevated. Didn't, I didn't love this as much as you, as you and my friend Les did. I think I got stuck in some of the side characters that I, I loved. The uh, Christian Braun guy, uh, the guy who was uh, stuck in uh, hell trying to stay awake by pump, uh, pumping Adderall. 
Uh, that guy was such a weird side character, though. Did you, just say, so, did you just say stuck in hell? Uh, he's trying to stop, like, a rogue uh, CIA group from doing, like, a coup uh-huh. uh, and, like, selling weapons to uh, stupid people. Uh, and they keep slipping him, like, dosing him to try to sleep so they can do their job. It's so, what's weird, the tone of this show? It's it's comedic, but also dramatic. I mean, it's... it's it's. So, I would describe this as a USA show. Okay. This is like... Yeah. Burn notice, covert affairs, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. With all the good and bad that, that entails. Yes. Right, right. Um, I don't think it's, like, good on every level, but I, I had a good time with it. It was a solid, forgettable binge. <laughs> uh, this will probably not make my top 20 of the year. I probably will barely remember it by the time we get to the end of this year. But it's a solid enough way to start to spend yeah. a few hours. Yeah. Um, one thing I really did like, though, is Tulsa King, which came to a, at the first season. And this is our Taylor Sheridan yep. show. Along with uh, one of the guys from The Sopranos. Okay. Uh, um, I forget which guy it I've is. I've seen it's, the first... not David Simon, it's the other yeah. big guy. I've seen the first three episodes. So this uh, this is basically about... Sylvester Stallone is a guy, he's 75 years old, he just got out of prison after doing 25 years on a murder, yeah. and uh, he comes back to the... He's a mob mob guy, and he comes back and the mobsters... Is he like a mob boss kind of guy or a mob hitman? He was called the general. So he was like one of the... He was like a conciliary shot kind of guy. Shot caller. He was, yeah. he was a shot caller, yeah. And uh, he was like best friends with this mob boss... And he gets out, and the mob boss is, like, on oxygen, and is, is, like, barely there, and his son is running things, and his son's a real screw-up. And uh, he's played by Herc, Herc from The Wire, which yeah. I don't know if you all know who that character is. No, I is. know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so basically they, uh, he, he's like, well, I'm going to come back to, you know, come back to the, join the family, and things have moved on without him. They promoted these really, these, these little young jerks to be, like, the new guys who are the made men. And uh, they basically exile him to Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma. To basically start earning for them, uh-huh. uh, and then basically it's more of a less of a gay, you know, hey, thanks for uh, uh, thanks for going to jail for us, but we don't want to deal with you now. And so right. he immediately like uh, takes over a legal weed shop run by Martin Starr, and then uh, finds so a bad. finds a bar that he goes to that he sort of winds, and then he winds up uh, very quickly uh, having an affair with a DEA agent who's running an operation in town, played by Andrew Savage. Yes, and like all of this builds into like. Well, he winds up at war with this biker gang, and he's got he's got, he's got all these characters around him, and she's like trying to stay out of jail with with you know having been in a relationship with him. She didn't realize who he was when she first slept with him, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's like a big um, character drama piece with uh, some really good sort of if you like mob movie stuff, it's it's really good. Stallone is seventy five, right? He is, yeah. I, I, the the scene where Andre Savage learns his age yeah. after having sex with him, yeah. I was like. That's hilarious. Yeah. It's just like, I knew you were old, but I didn't know you were that old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nick, who did you say you felt sorry for? Was it the person who ran the weed oh, shop? Oh, Martin, Martin Starr. Star. You don't have to feel sorry for him, Nick. As you see, go on. He, he's, he's much more a, an agent of his own than I know, but, yeah. but Stallone is in, like, true, like, asshole fashion so at the very beginning. The first episode reminded me a lot of Get Shorty. Uh, yeah. With, like, how... Basically, the, the the like Chili just walks in and just runs rampant over LA because nobody knows how to handle him. It was kind of the same deal. He's like his he's got his powers is utter, is total confidence, but I, and he's not afraid of anything. But I will say that Taylor Sheridan doesn't ever do a character that he doesn't define a little bit. Yeah. So even the sub characters like the his driver, you yeah. get to see a little with his dad. His driver gets stuff. gets further developed. Uh, there's a uh, there's a guy who's who's in sort of witness protection sort of who uh, winds up. There's a story involving him. Yeah, all this stuff develops. I looked at some of the cast members that I guess show up later, yeah. and I'm like, oh, these are people I, I, yeah. I actually I the, love. The ensemble's really strong. The antagonists are really strong. It's It's got sort of that mob, you know, political mob maneuvering in it. 
I, I really enjoyed it, and it's it's really well shot. Like it's just this is a fantastic bit of TV. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm gonna finish watching it. All right. Um, well, I guess we have time. We're gonna take we're gonna take a break that will be invisible to the listener, but we're <laughs> gonna kick Dave out so Nick and I can talk about the menu. <laughs> All right. So, uh, spoiler warning: if you have not seen the menu, you probably shouldn't listen to this because you don't want to be spoiled on it because it's a really good movie. But it is streaming on HBO. It's streaming on HBO Max. Uh, definitely worth uh, checking out. Yeah. So, uh, Nick, did you see this in the theater? Or did I you did. See it? Okay. I did. So this is. Uh, I saw the trailer for this, and it looked like this very exclusive dining arrangement. Ray finds this is like you know Uber Chef. Yep. And there's a, a, a vast cast of characters who have come out for this like big elegant meal on an island, and there was definitely a horror vibe to it. I was like, oh, something's going on. Right. And something's going on. But it is not quite exactly what you think it is. No, no. Although uh, once once they reveal sort of more was I'm like ah, oh, this makes sense. Yeah. Um, but the cast of characters here, I mean, it's almost like, like a Ryan Johnson Knives Out style. Like it is. all the characters are really Judith Light and her husband. Yep. Uh, who are like just these rich people who always do these meals. The um, God who played the critic. Oh, it's some it's not. It's not Kate Blanchett. It's not no. Um, uh... The uh, the the critic and her her boss. Uh, are are delightful. Nicholas Holt plays a delightfully punchable foodie. It's Jan- uh, Janet McTeer. Janet McTeer. Okay, I don't know who that is. Uh, she's been in. Oh, she's been in a bunch. She of reminds stuff. me of Jane Lynch. She does. That's who I thought she was at first. There's uh, three like finance bros who are there. Yep. Um, who else? A am I tired missing? old oh, actor. Um, there's uh, yeah. Um, uh, Clown. John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo. He's having a good year. He played Violet. He was in Violet Night. He's very good in that. He is uh, playing he, a Steven Seagal like character. Yeah, he's an actor. <laughs> And he's got his agent with him, or his manager, who's about to yep. leave him. And uh, Nicholas Holt plays this sort of, like, very intuitive foodie. And with him is Anya Taylor-Joy, who is, like, maybe a girlfriend. There's an implication of, like, that she's a last-minute addition. Yep. And we find out what she is later, and it, it's, like, a really... She becomes, like, a sort of central character. Yeah, she she's definitely... Because she doesn't fit into uh, Ray Fiennes' menu. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was fun, because it was, like, the, the, mo- the menu stuff, like... They definitely they did her riffing like Nicholas Holt mentions Chef's Table. They're yeah. riffing on all these foodie oh, things 100%. and all this kind of thing. But it is also a a suspense and horror movie. Uh, it's directed by uh, what the hell is his name? He did a lot of like Game of Thrones. He also did uh, Succession. So he kind oh, of has okay. that sort of okay. Right. Uh, Mark Malloyd. Okay, uh, or Malad. Yeah, uh, but. Honestly, it's just a character. I love Ray Fiennes and his uh, sort of over-the-top chef yeah. uh, who claps for everyone's attention yep. Uh, yep. at the beginning of every course. The, the tension here is so good. Yes. Like, as to figure out what's going on, and when it starts getting real, and and it's, it's like, the uh, the mess, the course they started yes. as the mess, is, like, the first notification that, oh, shit, something's going on, and still there are people in denial about it. Well, uh, some of the like earlier things that Hong Chow does mm-hmm. uh, as sort of the maitre d' to the uh, the bros, essentially yeah. of like uh, I forget exactly what. Well, what they ask for something, and she's like, "No," and and like, "Don't you know who we are? Don't you know who we work for? We we work for the person who owns this restaurant." Yeah, yeah. And she's like, "I don't care." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we find out why. Yeah, and we find out why. Um, the the thing. <laughs> The thing that got me was the re- the reveal that I did not see coming at all was Nicholas Holt's character knew what was going on yeah. when he came to the island. Yeah. <laughs> he was so into foodies. Yeah. And uh, Ray Fiennes gets, gets him pretty good, though, I yeah. will say. Yeah. 
Uh, that sequence is very uh, disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but honestly, I mean, this is basically against uh, eating of the 1% in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's really well done. Yeah. Because uh, it is entertaining. There is kind of the biting satire. Mm-hmm. There's stuff that's funny in this. Oh, yeah, yeah 100%. Especially if you like food shows yeah. and are yeah. kind of a little bit in that you know, biosphere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it will, it will make you decide you don't want to take out any exclusive offers from chefs for dining at the private Island. Yeah. It, I, what's that one? Like supposed to be the best restaurant. Is it Noma? That's like, uh, oh, yeah, in, yeah. it's not in Iceland, but it's something like yeah. that. I'm like, well, now I shouldn't I- go there cause I might die. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how chefs are going to love this show. Yeah. But, oh, I think know. most chefs are pretty twisted. I think they'll all think this is hilarious. <laughs> and it is. There is definitely a bit of like being in food service uh, and, and retail. Yes. There's definitely a bit of a uh, of like you don't appreciate the people who are working for you, and here's what you get. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was delightful and fun. I'm I'm really glad I watched it. Yeah. Uh, all right. I think that will wrap it up for us this week. Um. And uh, until next time, yo, yo Joe. Roguecast is a weekly podcast broadcast from Rogue's Gallery Comics and Games in Round Rock, Texas. You can find us online on Facebook and at www.roguesgallerytx.com and email us comments or questions at roguesgallerytx at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.